Welcome to church. Welcome to the movement. Welcome to a, a revolution started by Jesus Christ, a revolution that has been going on unstopped for 2,000 years, impacting, influencing, redeeming, changing, making this world a better place one life at a time. Welcome to church. Welcome to Maple Grove. Now, as we begin this morning, I, 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 I want to read a, a few of my, my favorite passages about the church, and, and, and then I want to read one of, my, one of my favorite quotes about the church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn or fall on the screen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. What is the church? Uh, the church is the body of Christ. You see, see, um, the word can still be flesh. Uh, the word can still take on flesh through me and through you as his body. Uh, we read this in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. You've come to Jesus, the one who brought the new agreement from God to his people. Well, what is the church? It's, it's Mount Zion, the, uh, the spiritual eternal Mount Zion. Uh, what is the church? It's the, it's the city of the living God. Uh, what is the church? It is a joyful assembly. And, and Peter says this about the church. He says, you are a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. At one time, you were not a people, but now you're God's people. In the past, you, you never received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. What is the church? The church is chosen people. It's, it's royal priests. The church is a holy nation, a spiritual, eternal nation. What is the church? It's, it's the people belonging to God. It's the people who have received mercy. It's the people who have been given the job to tell of all the wonderful acts of God. And then Jesus said this about the church in Matthew 16. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and the rock is the reality that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is church? Church is an unstoppable force. It's what is a church? It's something built by Jesus. What is a church? It's something that the gates of hell cannot overcome. Welcome to church. Aren't you glad to be a part of it? 
In his book, Courageous Leadership, Bill Heibel tells of a story when he was in a San Juan airport and he watched a 10-year-old boy literally take the head of another boy and smash it against the concrete. And, you know, he went over and, and he broke things up, and, but eventually he had to get on the plane. And, and when he got on the plane, the Holy Spirit prompted him to not let go of that picture. Uh, but to try to figure out what could possibly change the direction of that boy's life. He thought about the government, but decided it couldn't do it. Uh, you see, government can't change a human heart. It can't turn hatred into love. Government can't bring about repentance and forgiveness, reconciliation and peace. And, and then he writes these words. I, I scroll through every other option I could think of, considering what they had to offer. Business can provide surely needed jobs. Wise educators can teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs can offer effective methods of behavior modification. Advanced psychological techniques can aid self-understanding. And all of this is good but can any of it truly transform the human heart? I believe that only one power exists on the sorry planet that can do that. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ, a love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grits my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. That means that in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregation like yours and mine. It's a church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world, but it doesn't have to be that way. Strong, grown communities of faith can turn the tide of history. They can don't bother looking elsewhere. The church is it. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens up its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. I love this. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for what? For healing and wholeness. He concludes with these words. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the church. Let's pray. God, we love you. We need you. We are your people, your church, your body, your bride. And God, we're here to meet with you. We're here to hear from you. And God, I pray this morning that, that you would, well, you're always speaking, I guess. I pray that we'll hear you, that we'll turn our eye to you. But like Moses, when we see the bush burning, God, may we not turn aside but walk towards it and, and hear your voice this morning, God. God, I pray that you enable me to speak your truth uh, in a way that we all can understand, in a way that brings honor to you. God, open our eyes, open our ears. And God, 
you know, forgive the, uh, the sins of the ones standing up here, for there are many. I thank you for the blood of Christ that has removed all my guilt and shame. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Uh, we're in week six uh, of our eight-week series, Identity, the Grove, who we are. Since June the 12th, we have, have been refining and sharpening our focus on our vision, why we're here, following Christ in life-changing community. Uh, why are we here? We're here to follow Christ, and, and we're here to change lives for the better. And we've been sharpening our focus on our mission, how we get it done, which is like Jesus, we seek the lost, and we make disciples, and we show compassion, vision or mission, and we've been establishing a set of five core values, five convictions, five anchor points, five non-negotiables that have become and are becoming our internal operating system, you know, a system that will prompt us and guide us and move us forward for him and for his glory. Uh, the Grove's core values, our number one core value is, you know, we honor biblical authority. Our second core value is we what? We depend on God. And he's pretty dependable, isn't he? And, and number three, we what? We do life together the way God planned it, the way he wants it. And, and, and today we're going to roll out our fourth core value. Next week we're going we're gonna to roll out our fifth core value. And, and then on March the 2nd, uh, we're having what um, we're going to call our all-in-one service. I understand, March the 2nd is going to be a huge day at Maple Grove. As this body, as this group of people who are passionate about Jesus, as we're going to go all-in and commit to the Grove's vision, mission, and core values. And since we can still do it, what we're going to do on that day because I don't think we'll be able to do it maybe a year from now, but we're going to have one service where we're all together, you know, at 1030, and, and the place is going to be packed. I mean, last week there were 75 in this room first service and 275 in this room second service. It's going to be packed. We're going to have chairs up there. Maybe the middle schoolers are sit on the floor. But, but while we can still do it, right, we're going to be in this room all together, and we're going to have posters of our vision, mission, and core values that we'll have a chance to, uh, to get up, and we'll be able to sign these things, and we're going to frame them, and they'll be throughout our campus. You know, if you're working in children's ministry at 1030, those doing that, you know, our prayer time will be later, right? It's not 815. We'll pray at 930 for the service, and uh, those in children's ministry have the opportunity, you know, like Glenda, you know, opportunity to be some of the first people that design the vision, mission, and core values. And, and you know what? And, and, and just timing is just great. Uh, the Saturday night before, we're having our next before the throne, you know? And, 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 and let me tell you, it's going to be an historic day in the life of his church at 3210 Prophet Road. It is. It is. You know, I'm, I'm confident 
uh, that God and his spirit are, are going to do some of that immeasurably more stuff. So I, I want you all to start imagining, right? God says he can do more. Let's start imagining some serious, crazy stuff happening. You know, as people say, you know what, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Let's go out and do it. Let's go out and make this happen. And again, that's just two weeks away. Today, we're rolling out core value number four, which is we engage our culture in relevant ways. And, and, and I, the way I, I want to you know, unpack this core value and introduce it, <clears throat> begin unpacking it, because with all our core values, right? I mean, you know, we got to continue to think about them, right? Hey, what do they mean? How do we do it? You know, what, okay, how are we actually making disciples right now? I mean, we, we got to keep asking these questions. But the way I, I want to introduce it and begin packing is with four questions. You know, first question, you know, would be, you know, uh, does God want us to engage our culture? Um, did the early church engage the culture? How do we engage the culture? And the final question is, will we engage our culture? Question number one. Does God want us to engage our culture? EOC. Not enough room, right? The EOC. Answer, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, understand, engaging, engaging the culture around them has been God's plan for his people all the way back to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, when, when God calls on this 75-year-old guy and he says to him, Leave your country. Imagine that. He's, he's fixing, I think he's ready to retire, right? He's got his plans, and God always has his, doesn't he, Ray? <laughs> and leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And all the people on the earth will what? Will be blessed through you. You see, from the beginning, God wanted the lives of his followers to impact the culture in which they lived in a positive way. And he wants the same thing today, doesn't he? I mean, God wants the culture that you and I live in, you know, this community, right, uh, where you work at ACAC, at UVA, you know, wherever we are, God wants the culture to be better because his people are there. So, see, God's plan has always been to, you know, to bless his people so that they can be what? A blessing to other people, right? Not so we can enjoy them all for ourselves and be, you know, fat, dumb, and happy, right? You know, uh, but so that we can bless other people. Fat, dumb, and happy. Oh, I don't know where that, where that came from. It works for you. works for me, too. Um, when, when God wore flesh and walked the earth, Jesus, did, did he engage culture? All the time. In the city and the countryside, at the temple and in homes, in the marketplace and around the dinner table, on the mountainside and on dusty streets, Jesus was always engaging the culture, and he, he made it very clear uh, that, that we who follow him are to do the exact same thing. I mean, here's what Jesus said to, to those of us at the Grove who are following him about engaging culture and who we are. You know, you are the salt of the earth. And we know salt back then was used primarily to do what? Preserve. 
right? You know, not long ago, you ever have, I have one of those deep, small deep freezers that you just pull junk on, you never know what's in the bottom. And every now and then you go, okay, let's do an inventory. What do we have down there? We have halfway melted popsicles or whatever. And, and I, I took out a, on my hot water heater, I took out some meat and I had a nice pot roast frozen that I set on top of the hot water heater and I inventoried. About a week later, every time I went to the, down the basement, it's like, it really smells down here. Did something die? And I'm spraying air freshener, looking all around. I go, it's, it's nasty down here. It's getting terrible. And I finally walk over and I see dripping down the side of a hot water in front of a puddle on the ground. Need I say more? Oh, my goodness. You are the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. If the freezer loses its power, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He said, you are the light of the world. The world's in darkness. A sitting hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Praise Maple Grove? No, praise your Father in heaven. And after... His resurrection, both Jesus and the angel told the women who met him at the tomb, hey, be sure to tell my guys that, that I, I want to meet them in Galilee. And they went to Galilee. Jesus showed up, and here's what Jesus said to them about engaging the world. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority, isn't it? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And what, what did Jesus say in, in his great commission are two essential things in making disciples. Did you see them in there? You know, number one would be what? You know, baptizing them and what? Teaching them. And hey, with that in mind, I want you to spread the word of something else that's, something else that's going to happen on March the 2nd. It is March the 2nd, right? Sometimes I say July. I, look, you know, I was up here last week saying July. It's like, okay, it is March, right? March 2nd, 2014. You know, we're, we're, we're having a, a baptism Sunday. See, if you've not yet been baptized by immersion, I, I really encourage you to, to think about that decision and making that decision today or on March the 2nd. If you have any questions about baptism, grab me, email me. I got a nice handout in the back, a study notes you can do. If you saw that video testimony by um, you know, Bob and, and, and Chris um, for Trichus, you know that's what they studied, when, and then the two of them were, were baptized on our Christmas service, all right? But you know, I encourage you to do that. You know, what a great day, right, to say, hey, I'm... I'm just going to do what Jesus said. You know, I'm not going to debate it. He said, hey, here's how you make disciples. And again, if you have questions, just go ahead and ask me. I told you it was going to be a good day, didn't I? I told Bill, he said, the church is going to explode on that day. Again, from the very beginning, God wanted his people to engage the culture around them. We see Jesus engaging the culture around them. And Jesus tells us, hey, you guys are salt. You guys are light. I want you to go and, and make disciples of all nations. And, and Paul put it like this in Philippians 2. 
live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of what? Crooked and perverse people as you hold out the word of life. And I love how the message paraphrased words that. He's talking to us. Go out into the world, what's the next word? Uncorrupted. A breath of, a breath of, okay. I just want everybody's blood to be circulating with me, okay. Fresher, okay. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society. I love this. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Uh, Again, does God want the grove? Does he want us to engage culture? Absolutely. Did the early church engage their culture? Wow. Did they? I mean, throughout the book of Acts, we see them engaging culture from beginning in Jerusalem, going all the way to Asia and to, and to Europe. They're engaging their culture, making the world a different and better place. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Early Christianity. And when he wrote it, he wasn't a Christian. He was a professor of sociology and comparative religions at the University of Washington. And, and, but he tracked the first 300 years of the existence of Christianity because you know, Christianity changed the world. I mean, it started as a small, obscure Jesus movement, but it changed the world. And eventually, Rome was not overthrown, but Rome became a Christian nation and this guy's figuring out, trying to figure out, well, how did that happen? He says they had no power. They, 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 uh, uh, they had no political position. They had no resources. They had no vote. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have the Bill of Rights or any kind of religious freedom. In fact, they had a guy named Nero who would, who would set them on fire and, and put them up and use them as streetlights at night. Yet somehow, this group of people exploded. And he, he begins, like, how did that happen? And he just traces it out. And, and he says that, you know, abortion and infanticide were common in, in the Roman world. It was an accepted practice. It was most often exercised when uh, the child was a female or disabled. It was common. It, it was condoned by people like Plato and Aristotle. And people would just take their babies and just leave them out in the wilderness just to die. But the church didn't allow for that. Now, they couldn't control what happened outside of culture, right? But they could control what happened in their community. And they said, you know what, we're just not going to do things that way. And the church valued women and they protected children and the helpless in the culture. And none of those, those things are valued today. They weren't valued then. And Christian men were called on to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to sacrifice, protect, and provide for their families. In ancient Rome, Christians saved countless abandoned babies and brought them up in the faith. And Christian homes became the first orphanages and nurseries. And when the church began, Rome was not providing social services to help people in need. But there was no need for the government to help because the church took care of each other. And not only did they take care of each other, they even took care of people who were outside the group. And that was unheard of in that day. In those days, widows were forced to remarry because there was no other way to provide for themselves. And the church says, you know what, we're not going to do it that way. And the church said to widows, you don't have to remarry because we're going to take care of you. Another example, in early Rome, you know, young ladies would often be forced to marry before they even hit puberty. And the church 
came along and said, you know what, we're, we're not going to do it that way either. And the, and the list just goes on and on and on. And eventually the society is so struck by what's different within the walls of this community called the church that it changes everything, that it changes the world. But it wasn't because they could vote. It wasn't because they passed legislation that forbid certain practices. Now, if they could have been more involved in the political process, they should have, but that was not an option but, however, the church changed the world simply by being the church, simply by living out their faith. And listen, as we look at our world during the last 2,000 years, we see that the church of Christ has stood front and center in making this world a better place. That's your heritage. Does God want us to engage your culture? Absolutely did the early church engage the culture? Wow, did they? Remember, as I said, we said many times around here that, that God, God, is, you know, God is not looking for an audience to fill a building. He's looking for what? An army to engage the world that he loves. So the next question is, you know, how do we engage our culture? And in the light of our core values, right, I want to suggest three ways that we engage our culture. Number one, under the authority of God's word. Here's what he says, Paul, we read this earlier. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people as you hold out the word of life. Now, understand, it's vital as we engage our culture that we are living lives that are clearly under God's, the authority of God's word. Okay, as we engage culture, we want to be living lives that are clearly under the authority of God's word. And, and number two, we want to hold out the word of life in our engagement. Question. How effective is our engagement with culture if our lives don't match this book? I mean, when our lives are pretty much as crooked and depraved as the culture is, I mean, how bright is our light? Is our salt even salty? I mean, what is the number one charge that the world has against Christians? They're just a bunch of what? Hypocrites. I understand, to effectively engage our culture uh, we need to be living lives that are clearly under the authority of God. So we're not perfect because we're all screwed up, right? But at least strive and say, yeah, this, I'm living by this. I'm not just teaching it. I'm living it. But we also need to be holding out the word of life in our engagement because how lasting and eternal is our engagement if the words of life are never held out? See, Jesus not only gave them bread to fill their bodies, but he gave them the bread of life to save their souls. So as we engage culture, we have to make sure that we don't forget the bread. You ever forgotten the bread? You're going down to Kroger, Harris Teeter, to buy bread. And then they got some specials going on right up front. Whoa, strawberries are real cheap, looking real good. Oh, wow, look how cheap that water. And before you know it, you get home, and what did you do? I forgot the bread right? Uh, don't forget the bread when we gauge the culture, all right? 
Um, second essential ingredient for effective culture engagement is depending on God. And here's that image we've been using. I, I love this image of depending on God, you know, not using our own power, okay? We got to depend on God. Paul writes this, right? Now to him who's able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to what? His power. That is, his power is at work within us. And, and then that verse in you know, Ephesians that I mentioned earlier, finally, sometimes I think God wants to say that to me and you as we're pushing that sucker, that tractor that's going nowhere. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, we have to engage the world under the authority of God's word where we're living it, where we're holding it out, um, depending on God and his power, not our own. And, and then we need to engage the world together. You, you see how our core values, they just flow one into the other? Without together, our, our message won't be heard. You see, it, it's together that, that makes the message believable. According to Jesus, together is the ultimate undeniable apologetic. It's the ultimate, uh, the ultimate undeniable proof that we are who we say we are. Love each other. Just as I love you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Here's what God does. See, God creates community within a community to change a community. God creates community here within this community in order to change the community. Get it? Good. Fourth essential ingredient for effective culture engagement is this, in relevant ways. I spent a lot of time thinking about these three words, literally hours. Yeah, I'm a slow thinker. And to be honest, I, I, at first I felt like pulling the last three words out and making core value number four, we engage our culture. However, the moment quickly passes, I remembered how the vision, mission, values process went, that it, it was not a Steve effort but a team effort, uh, that it, it was not a man-powered process but a fasted-for, prayed-over, Holy Spirit-driven process. And so there's got to be a reason God wants those three words in there. And, and to, to get our minds around this concept in relevant ways, I, I want to do three things quickly. I, I, I want to define the word relevant. I, I, I want to make two statements. And, and then I want to talk about three things that, uh, that I think are part of engaging our culture in relevant ways. The word relevant is an adjective, meaning having significant demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand. The candidate's experience is relevant to the position. Another definition is relating to a subject in an appropriate way. Third, having practical value or applicability. That's, it's relevant. And, and here are some words that are related to or synonymous with the word relevant. Appropriate, applicable, material, pointed, suited, germane, apt, proper, to the point, 
sensible, fitting, useful, significant, meaningful. Okay, it's the word relevant. Here's the two statements. Statement number one. Uh, being relevant is not about the grove trying to be like the culture or to be hip and cool. Instead, it's about trying to speak in a way that our culture will understand. And that makes sense, right? I mean, what's good is a message if they can't understand it. Now, something I was going to do here, I can't, I can tell you about it in 20 seconds. I was going to show you this video of somebody reading scripture in Chinese, right? And then I was going to say, so, how'd that work for you? And you say, like, I didn't even know what you're saying. I go, well, would this work better? And then I was going to read Psalm 1 and, and see what good is it, right? What good is it to know, you know, that, that blessed is, is the one who trusts in the Lord? And he's like, what, what good is it if we can't even hear the message, right? So that's what it's about. It's, it's, about, it's not about being hip or cool. It's not about being like the world, but it's about speaking in a way that a world can understand. Statement number two as a local church or churches can become irrelevant, but the church can never become irrelevant. Yeah, yeah I, I know there's a, there's a lot of people today, you can Google the question, is the church relevant today? And, and people are thinking, well, you know, we live in you know, such a sophisticated society in America you know, that, that the church is not really rel- relative anymore. But listen, every single person walking on this planet whether accepted or not, was created by God and in his image. Therefore, God's word and the church is relevant whether they want to accept it or not. Uh, you know, a lot of outward stuff has changed in our world over the years, right? A lot. But man is still man. People are still people. And much remains the same. Question. Is freedom from guilt still relevant? Is having real and lasting hope relevant? Is overcoming our fear relevant? Is forgiveness receiving and giving it relevant? Is experiencing peace rather than anxiety relevant? Is being fully known yet still loved and accepted relevant? Is no fear of death relevant? Is experiencing life in all its fullness relevant? Is, is becoming a, a better person, a better husband, a, a better father, a better wife relevant? Is, is having a reason and purpose for living relevant? Is having a strength greater than our own available to us at all times relevant? Is knowing that there's a purpose behind all the pain, hurt, and heartache of this life relevant? Is where we spend eternity relevant? Again, a... a a local church or churches can become irrelevant, but the church, it's never irrelevant. And again, being relevant, it's not about being like culture. It's not about being hip or cool. Instead, it's about trying to speak in a way that our culture will understand. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so what, what are three things that are part of engaging our culture in relevant ways? I think one is we have to remove obstacles. I call this the John the Baptist method. Jesus said this about John. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains, hills will be made level, 
The curves will be straightening and the rough places made smooth and then all people will see the salvation sent from God. And those are metaphors, right? You know, John was not in the landscaping business, right? Those are metaphors saying, hey, John says, I'm here to make it as easy as possible for people to see Jesus. I'm going to remove any obstacle. And so we have to begin and continue as a church. Are there obstacles that we need to remove in order to make it easier for people to see Jesus? I remember becoming a, a new Christian. I'm about, you know, I came to Christ when I was like 20. And, you know, in the church I was going to, you know, they're always reading the King James. And I couldn't understand it. I really couldn't. I mean, and I asked if, hey, could we like read something me and my buddies could understand? And they said, no, because it could upset some other people. And I said, but I don't, I'm just new to this stuff, and every time you read from it, I get lost. And I think that's an obstacle that could have been removed, you know? What are some obstacles that we can remove? You know, you ever notice how churches have glass doors now? I think part of the reason is, right, an obstacle is who wants to walk into a, a building? You don't know what, what's behind that building. Are they freaks in there? You know, you know, and so we got glass doors so you can drive by and say, whoa, they're weird looking. I'm going on, right? You know, you know, but, but what are some obstacles, right, that we have to remove? That same church I went to, when you were a first-time visitor, they would say, any visitors? Hey, stand up, introduce yourself. All right, that could be an obstacle, right? You know, you know fear of public speaking high up on the list, and they want you. My first time Sunday there, you know, I'm 20 years old. Stand up, introduce you and your wife. It's like, uh, Okay? But we have to keep asking that question. Are there any obstacles, you know, that, that we could remove? Number two, embrace the do-whatever-it-takes attitude. And I'm not going to read the passage. I'm, I'm watching my time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. That's why I put references there. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, you know what? It, Paul says, I'm, when I'm around the Jew, I'm acting like I'm a Jew. A non-Jew, I act like a non-Jew. You know, a weak person, I act weak. He says, I'm, and then, then he says this, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might say some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. And you know, Paul says, yeah, yeah, I know I can have a pork chop, but, but you know what? It, it, that's going to freak the dude out next to me. I, I'll wait till I go home. <laughs> I got some in the refrigerator, right? I, I'll throw those things on the grill when I get home. Paul says, I'm not going to let anything get in the way, not my freedom, not my wants, not my desires, not my preferences, and somebody seeing Jesus. I'm not going to let that get in the way of the mission. You know, I remember in Bangladesh, you know, I had to preach with my shoes off. You know, because you don't wear your shoes in the God's house. I found out because I wore my shoes up there. And they're saying, what are you doing? There's a sign. Well, I couldn't read the sign because it, it wasn't relevant to me. I couldn't understand it. You know, you know, that was the culture. Todd Cabell danced in worship. Todd Cabell, he's pretty stoic. But guess what? That's what they did. He became all things, all people. And Todd Cabell became a dancer in worship in Dhaka in Bangladesh. It's this attitude of, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to remove whatever obstacle. And the third, it's, we get cultural simply by being the church. Because when you come down to it, being relevant is so much deeper than style of music, design of buildings, 
use of technology, social media, and the arts, what we wear and don't wear, that is all secondary stuff that's going to change. I mean, the early church met in homes, and some guy up front read from a scroll with Greek writing on it. We meet in buildings with air conditioning, indoor plumbing, electricity, sound system, projectors, bulletins, padded pews, with God's Word in our hands or on our phones. All secondary stuff. All stuff that's going to change. All stuff that can change. But listen, living out our faith, the church being the church, Christians looking like Jesus, it's not secondary. It's essential. It's foundational. So, so, so in relevant ways, to me, the bigger part of relevant ways is just being the church. What if the church was just a church? And we look for God's glory, not our own. For kingdom advancement, not self-advancement. Self-advancement. What if our focus was on worship, not wealth, on our mission, not our comfort? What if we just loved each other in radical kinds of ways? What if we took off our masks and lived in authentic Christian community? What if those who had more shared with those who had less? What if all the things that separate people in our culture, race, gender, socioeconomic status, what if they all just melted away in our midst and it didn't matter who you were, where you came from? If the church was just a church and we did a better job of caring for the sick, would there be any health care debate right now? I don't know if there would be. If the church was just a church and marriage was honored and there was complete commitment and the church demonstrated what intimate love and more purity looked like, you'd have to wonder if it'd be hard for us as a society to define marriage and if our voice on these issues would be much more persuasive. If the church was a church and we cared for orphans, foster children, and single moms more effectively, you have to wonder what would happen to the abortion rate. If the church was just a church and we loved the unlovely, forgave those who hurt us, reached out to the hurting, acknowledged our failures, fed those who were hungry, freed those who were captive, served those who were less fortunate. If the church was just a church and we offered belonging to the outcast, took Christ to the darkness, brought truth to the skeptical, healing to the wounded, displayed love to our enemies. Well, what if the church was just a church and we... We shout louder about God's grace and, his, and its availability than about our hatred of a particular sin. What if the church was just a church and our light was a little bit brighter and, and, and our salt was a little bit saltier? You have to wonder if the world would notice. And in my opinion, the only thing that would be irrelevant would be the question, is the church relevant? That'd be irrelevant. How do we engage our culture under the authority of God, depending on God together and in relevant ways? Now here, here's a final question, right? Will we engage our culture in relevant ways? First, let me say we already are. I mean, right now we got two ladies, right, in Ethiopia right now. Uh, next weekend, the student movement will fast for 30 days to raise money. I mean, they set a goal to raise $7,000. You know, what they, I think they said, what, 30 bucks feeds somebody for a whole month? You know, to raise $7,000, right? 
I mean, uh, Christmas Eve, we raised $7,000 to give a village or two a well in, in a third world country. You know, tons of genes went to homeless teens. We sent genes over to Egypt. 100 people had Thanksgiving because of the generosity of our church. People in Greene County through, uh, through your Christmas gifts, an angel child, all these kids. Man, I never saw so many bikes down the hallway. And they weren't cheap bikes. They were some fat, good-looking bikes that the church gave. Uh, this summer, our youth are going to Cambodia to work with a group that's rescuing young women from sex slavery. Bill's going back to India. Yeah, you know, are, are we? You know, uh, we're trying to figure out how, how to use social media better, right? It's out there, right? 900, a billion people hit it, hit Facebook every month. How do we use it? How do we update our website? You know, how do we use this stuff uh, to become more relevant? I got a guy working where we can have a Maple Grove Bible, you know, church app where you hit app on your phone, there's your Maple Grove app and hit the app and everything's right there. You can get to it real quick because, you know, um, we already are and we are just getting started. We're just getting started. I'm going to close with this, um, and it's serious close, not a Steve close. I'm going to close and then talk 99 minutes longer or pray a three-hour prayer, right? You know, as pastors, you can't trust us, right? In closing, yeah, right, okay, we got 20 minutes, don't we? All right, but I'm going to read this. Uh, a guy named Dix Alexander wrote this. It's called Raw. It's a word I never liked. Raw carrots are too hard. Raw oysters too slimy. Raw humor is too dirty. Raw skin is too painful. In fact, raw applied to anything human sounds painful. But we live in a world of raw human need. It's all around us. Do you ever wonder how many people struggle with homosexuality in your church? How many alcoholics? How many families with incest? How many addicts? How many victims of violence and abuse? Will they find help? With the raw human need touching us every day, the church can scarcely afford business as usual. In practice, many traditional churches view their mission as holding Sunday services, satisfying the members, and doing a little good here and there. Such churches are on the way out. In a few years, there will be dinosaurs. Not because their doctrine is bad, but because they lost their mission. Only churches serious about rescuing the hurting will survive and make a difference. Amen. And Maple Grove is serious about rescuing the lost. That's why back in November, we brought a guy in from Indiana, and that's why we've been talking about our vision, mission, and core values since January. Now, that's why in, in two months, in May, Gary's coming back again to spend the week with the leadership as we develop a three-year strategic plan. You know, we're serious about being God's church. We ain't got it all figured out. We ain't got much figured out, you know. Him and the Bible, right? And we, we're, That's a great starting point. But we want to make a difference. And, and I know, I know that as this year moves on, our light will be getting brighter and our salt will be getting saltier together as we make a difference for Christ. Man, it's a great time uh, to be at Maple Grove. Would you stand and pray with me? God, we love you. And God, we thank you for everything that you've done, for who you are. And God, our world needs you. Uh, we need you, and one time we really needed you. We were desperate. So, God, I pray you move in our body, God, that, that we become your church in all its beauty. God, fill us with the power of your presence, with the power of your word. May we go forth as a mighty army. In Jesus' name, amen.